Good evening and welcome to a very special Crombie. This evening we will be discussing Oppenheimer. Good evening, dear listener, and welcome to a very special Crombie. For yes, we are going to do a, a movie that is actually showing in the cinemas as we speak. And as always, I am Hugh. Maybe you just needed to get laid. And I'm Dr. James Evans Esquire. The power you are about to reveal will forever outlive the Nazis and the world is not prepared. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> nice bit of Niels, Niels Bohr there. Yeah, you look, you look, if nobody should ever accuse us of being old fashioned now, should they? Here we are reviewing a film that's actually in the cinema. On the cast. And, I mean, the closest we've come before is one that's been 10 years out. So yeah. we, we have, you know, we've, uh, <laughs> we've split really? the atom. I think so. I think it was that's like the um, closest we've got. It was, it was, it was what was it? Um, it was Carrie Pilby or something. Oh, Carrie Pilby, yeah. God. So this, I mean, it, we, admittedly, no one went to the cinema to watch that. <laughs> How oh, dare we have so we have split the atom of our of our reviewing here. And but why are we doing it? Because because it needed doing, I think. Yeah. Um, and because we can. And because we can, we have the power. Um, yeah. it's, we have stolen fire from the gods in the form of a very basic <laughs> podcasting equipment. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. Uh, didn't your podcasting equipment didn't you win it in a competition? Have I got that right? I don't. Oh, that one. That's broken. I'm, I'm no, on like my third one. Yeah, I'm, I, I go through them faster than atomic waste here. Notwithstanding, we're going to get into this. OK, oh, let's get to we, oh, it. we are. Let's let's get into trying to summarize this three hour yeah. plot. And yeah, we're say, yeah. Be, be warned. We, we, we did say before we started, well, we'll probably just rattle through the, the, the plot. We will. But, yeah. then, but it is three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually three hours. It's 181 minutes. Yeah. And I suppose, yeah, well, then we'll get into why we're looking at it and, and et cetera. But um, this story is structured um, as in, in basically several framing devices. It's Christopher Nolan, so you'd be amazed you to say. be amazed to learn it, it plays with our concept of time. <laughs> and we should probably yeah. say spoilers abound here, but I mean, I, if you're watching our and you don't realise he invents atomic bomb. I don't know what you're watching the cinema for. Yeah, um, although there is, I mean, this is an interesting concept because this is something that's so new. We probably do need to be mindful of our listeners. It is it is based on fact. It is based on actual historical um kind of things that happened saying carrie pilby didn't really happen (laughs) well even if it did i think it's film that was 10 years old at the time so it didn't matter too much but it is worth highlighting that i think that there are two framing devices in the film oh definitely the the time shift and the color of the film and they both present what i think is factual and more subjective views so so we'll come to that. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. But it's just that you know, although it is absolutely historically an event, there is also artistic and characterization decisions that are made later in the film, which yeah. we will be talking about. Yeah. So yeah. So we have a framing within a framing. So the first framing device, which is the most recent event, which is still happening, like in the fifties or sixties, is a, a congress, a senatorial um, confirmation hearing about the the Secretary of Commerce, is it Levi Strauss or Straws? Straws, yes. Yeah, Straws, sorry, as, sorry, he, as he, he pompously calls himself. Yeah, his, his name's Strauss, but he's Straws, um, so yeah. he sounds more folksy. Did so, you call him uh, Levi Strauss? He's the jeans inventor, isn't he? Yeah, don't you mean Lewis? Lewis Strauss. <laughs> we started great here. Lewis well, Strauss. Lewis Straws. 
Oh my yeah, God. that's it. Lewis Straws, not Levi Strauss. There we go. It's going to be a long three hours. Lewis, <laughs> Lewis Straws is going to be Secretary of Commerce and he's in a, the normal senatorial confirmation, which is normally like a rubber stamp, but he's yeah. kind of getting raked over the coals here a little bit. Yes, and they yeah. kind of, and they, as they kind of go to their little chamber to say what's happening, um, again, Straws is played by Robert Downey Jr. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Like against type. Like, yeah, but oh, he's so you know, good. But he's good in this. Really, really good. Um, again, oh, we'll, he is. We can we'll look, come on to, we'll come on to the, the acting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Straws is kind of like, you know, almost chewing his fingernails saying, what, what, why, well, why are they doing go, this? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah why, why is he getting this? a grilling? Is it because of Oppenheimer? <laughs> Back to us. They didn't actually do that. I think Chris Nolan has more. They didn't actually see wavy lines over the screen. Well, yeah, wavy lines and then suddenly it's Oppenheimer's youth. <laughs> Can you imagine if we'd done the, ways, were the Wayne's world? <laughs> So he's saying now, you know, is it because of Oppenheimer? Um, and then we go, um, not immediately, but th then we have our second framing device, which happens, I guess, a little earlier, which is Oppenheimer's uh, kind of um, security hearing. He's being grilled in a small room by the security staff to see this is all post Manhattan Project. Oppenheimer is a big name in, in the atomic security. And he's being grilled saying, should you have your security clearance renewed? Mm. Um, and it's like, you know, why should, why should that be different? So then brrr, back to our back to our last framing device, the backstory, which yeah. is in effect the, the main story of the film that takes up most of its space. So yeah, it the, leads the, the, up to the, yeah. uh, the atomic test, doesn't it really? Yeah. So the conflict is, will straws get confirmed? What's yep. Oppenheimer, will Oppenheimer get his clearance? And at the back of that is what's Oppenheimer's life story? So we get Oppenheimer's life story from a young student of uh, traveling around Europe and uh, meeting all the big names in atomic security. Then he goes back to. There's um, a lot of big names in this, isn't it? And, and now I'm talking to Albert Einstein. And here I am talking to Niels Bohr. Well, the funny thing is there's big names on both sides. Because like Neil, I'm playing the Niels Bohr, a big science name, played by Kenneth Branagh, a big acting game. <laughs> so, so you never get lost in who's who. It's like, oh, that's the Kenneth Branagh thing. He's going to be important. Um, so yeah, he 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 goes around Europe chatting to all the uh, the big brains. Heads back to uh, to America where you know he uh, gets uh, um, in the south, of course, California was at Caltech, um, Caltech. universities. Uh, California, yeah, Berkeley. Yeah, Berkeley. <laughs> Berkeley. Sorry, he's <laughs> not, it's not working there. in the bank. <laughs> you know, but you, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you why. Okay, I'll tell you well, why I say that. It's because I used to go to a primary school called Berkeley Infant School, and it was spelt like Bar Berkeley. So that's why oh, okay. I've got that in my head. So you know what? Screw so, you, Hugh. So, yeah. <laughs> so you 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 claiming contemporaneous with uh, with Oppenheimer because you went to the same school. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know if it was. I don't know if he went to Berkeley Primary School in Hounslow. I can see Oppenheimer did... pulling up the little plastic chair and playing with the <laughs> the, the, the Play-Doh. <laughs> Listen, James, this is fusion. Yeah. No, look, my point was is that I didn't go to Berkeley Primary School. I went to Fair. Berkeley Primary School, and yet it was spelt the same. So That's my point. <laughs> so, so he's I'm in, trying he's... to justify my mispronunciation. <laughs> so he's in he's on the uh, the East Coast again, meeting more scientists. And again, um, before very long, uh, again, a general yeah, has come yeah. in saying he's like, been in Cambridge, hasn't he? He's been in Cambridge. He's, he's, he's earned Cambridge. his chops. He's <laughs> gone to he's gone to Berkeley and he has, <laughs> he's really made a name for himself, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's clearly very precocious. Like he learned Dutch in six weeks so he could give a lecture yeah, in Dutch, yeah. this kind of stuff. He's... And he went to Berkeley because there isn't currently a theoretical physics department there. Yeah. So, you know, he has one he has one student then, you know, cuts to five minutes later and he's got 20 students. It's like, yeah. Oh, this is brilliant. This is also the, the implication that what he's learning is so cutting edge. No one can even teach it. He has to. Yeah. And no one knows yeah. what it is, really. Yeah. 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 Theory can only take you so far, though. Indeed. So um, in, uh, before very long, in come, through the door comes uh, the general. What's the general's name? Played by uh, 
Matt Damon. This is this thing with casting very famous people. You just know them as General Matt Damon, uh, General <laughs> Leslie Groves. <laughs> Leslie Groves, yeah. Matt Damon. I mean, is tell a more me in the film, apart, apart from like Oppenheimer, you were you were just saying, oh, that's uh, that's Florence Pugh. Oh, that's that's the uh, the Emily Blunt role. That's, I think part but, of the uh, issues is I don't know. You don't expect, or maybe you do in the forties, but I don't expect an American general to be called Leslie. Oh, I don't know, Leslie. Yeah, get lots of Leslie, famous Leslie, Leslie Crowther, Leslie Grantham. <laughs> Yeah, but, the testosterone yeah. is dripping off Leslie. Yeah, I was going to say, they probably adhere to the stereotype of what I expect a Leslie to be. <laughs> well, Leslie grows his all business. He's there. He's no nonsense. And basically uh, kind of eyeballs up on Heimat and says, you're the man I want to lead this super secret project. Um, and it's what project? They even, I think it's so secret they're not even talking about them. It's like, we, we need you to do something real important. <laughs> yeah, what is it? We can't tell you that, yeah. but it is important. Don't you worry. Yeah. So basically, the, the Manhattan Project is born there, um, and they they go around um, all over the place recruiting scientists from all over the country and setting up um, various different areas that want to refine the the materials, want to build the casings, and then yeah. in Los Alamos is where the the brain all the brains will be gathered yeah. to make. And they this need thing to go happen. there, don't they? They need all their families there because it's uh, it it it's it needs to be done quickly, and people need to be invested in it and all this. Kind and of securely stuff. is the thing. It's like you can't yeah, yeah because they obviously they once you invent the bomb. They want to keep it a secret. So Los they, Alamos uh, plays a, a big role in Oppenheimer's life, doesn't it? Because his his um his dream is to combine uh, New Mexico and physics, <laughs> and he manages it. Because <laughs> he had like he had like a, a horse ranch or something with his brother. These things yeah, right, in Los yeah. Alamos, so he knew the country, and that's when they set up uh, the place. So again, um, much inventing of stuff goes on. Lots of uh, scientists of, uh, of various they talk, don't they? they talk. Lots of talk, lots of talk, lots of inventing things. I suppose actually, what what are the, the thrust of this is they they've the guy kind of, when the Americans entered the war, they're like, well, the Germans have been doing this for the last eighteen months. We are <laughs> yeah. so far behind in this race. Yeah. So that's why we need to galvanize everything. We can't afford to be picky about who we choose. We can't afford to be you know to be precious about secrets. We need to go go go. And so, yeah. um, get Oppenheimer is it of that mind? It's like everyone's got to work. Everyone's got to focus towards the atomic bomb, not yeah. apparently the hydrogen bomb, which is. Um, which is even bigger. It's a... Even bigger. But also, although they've got to, they've got to, they can't be picky about um, being confidential, I guess, with the scientists, but they, they've got to be picky. There can't be any leaks to the yeah. Soviets. Yes. Um, yeah. Even though they're on the same side yeah. in principle. Yeah. And I suppose this is one of the, one of the backstories of Oppenheimer is when, um, in again, his years in, in Berkeley and Caltech, is he's, he's like hanging out with the communists. Cause it's well, he's dirty. politically active, isn't he? Yeah. He isn't a communist per se, but he, he has left leanings in his politics and he associates with either known or suspected communists. Yeah, one of which again is Gene Tatlock, who um, yeah. he has again a love affair with, uh, and the other one is uh, what's, what's the guy's name? It's um, it's got a it's got a very Chevalier. Very, Chevalier, yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Chevalier. Uh, I can't remember what he's first. Hakon. Yeah. Hakon Ooh. Chevalier. I know. I mean, Ooh, if that's not what? the name of a Russian double agent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who literally goes as far to say is like, uh, so Oppenheimer. Is there any chance, you know, any secrets yeah. you have? I could, I could make sure they reach the right hands. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he looks at him like, yeah, no. Yeah, he's like, no thanks. Chevalier <laughs> <laughs> kind of twirls his moustache. I must be more subtle next time. Um, I suppose by the point he's been approached by Chevalier, he's now met and married um, his wife, uh, Catherine yeah. Oppenheimer Kitty, played by Emily Blunt, um, who's like on her fourth husband. Like she, she's yeah, slowed they down. Die. They will die or um, don't notice that she's having an affair. 
I know, so Oppenheimer is he's very optimistic, Max. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it lasts. Fair enough, yeah, it did last. She didn't kill him or have an affair on him. Um, <laughs> Although he did. He did, yeah. He, he gathered around, both back to, to Gene Tatlock and off with, with some random in the uh, in Los Alamos. Some um, random. Some random. I, there were a lot of people, and I was losing track. Yeah, but... There were a lot of film. Yeah, there were a lot of people in this film. I will say again, we, we can linger on the the atomic test called Trinity is when they actually set off the bomb for the first yeah. time. Um, there's a couple of nice moments in this. Uh, first, firstly, I mean, it's 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 very tense. And most of, it's the only point when the bomb goes off that the music stops. Um, yeah, and it's the only it, point the music stops, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In the whole come, film, we'll, yeah. We'll come to the soundtrack yeah. too, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. actually quiet. And of course, it's, you know, the, the bright lights and the people look at it. I mean, yeah. you do think... I, I know this is kind of true to the form, but people are just hanging around with a bit of black glass in front of their <laughs> yeah, eyes. No. Well, one person s- isn't even doing it. He's in the car going, don't worry, the, the, the windscreen will protect yeah. you. And I know, I know, I know. This is yeah, what happened. But you just imagine, like, you see the, the post credit going, and they all died of cancer, and they yeah. went blind. It's like you, one guy was slapping on the sun cream. It's like, yeah. it's a nuclear bomb. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it isn't strictly a nuclear bomb, is it? That's the thing. It, it, it's an atomic bomb. It's not nuclear? quite. Well, it is, but it's, it's not like. So it's not like a nuclear fallout, like Chernobyl or something like okay. that. But yes, it is. Yes, it is nuclear. I, yeah. I'm talking absolute bollocks. It is. I, yeah, yeah I, I personally would not would want something more than a car windscreen between me and it. Yeah, I would. Yeah, and let let me not diminish the impact of the creation of the atomic bomb in any way by saying yeah. it's it's not really nuclear. I mean, it is nuclear. What am I talking about? Yeah, Come I think on, the, dis- the distinction that becomes important is nu- is atomic versus hydrogen. Hydro- they, they, yeah. they even say this in in quite a. I imagine they didn't have this conversation because it sounds a conversation that we'd have with our like we must measure it in kilotons many tons yeah. of tnt no a hydrogen bomb would be not kilotons but megatons you think that um th- th- oh, we'll come on to this as well but surely physicists wouldn't have that conversation no you think the finest minds in the world know. would know the metric system it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, of course they we need a word for a thousand yeah, it's, <laughs> our, it's for apply. our benefit and our benefit alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah so the, the idea is that um this side is edward teller um yeah. who has the played by benny safty um yeah. who is a director of a couple of films that i thoroughly enjoy okay. one of which is called good time and the other one is um the name of which i've forgotten <laughs> i love it so much i forgot the name of it it will come to me shortly this guy i think he um he was very fortunate in his, his casting because uh, apparently Teller had this very pronounced, like a Hungarian accent or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he got to play something incredibly distinctive because in a, in a, in a wave of just general scientists with, you know, glasses and, yeah. and short, short sleeve shirts, he stands out as being very big and with a very strange accent. And it's important because Teller actually is a is an important person in the story. He is. Um, and he's an important figure in physics as well because of this this kind of relationship he had with Oppenheimer. Now, the thing about Benny Safdie is much like, I can't remember the, the, the actor's name, but in our recent episode of um, the outlaw Josie Wales, uh, who's the actor who played, um, who was in Seinfeld? Who was also in, no, who was also in the outlaw Josie Wales? Oh, I know who you mean. Yes, yes, yes. Then somebody rather. But anyway, he's obviously got a broad Brooklyn accent. So does Benny Safdie. So, it almost they, he almost had to go extreme okay <laughs> but yeah so um that that was the pull so again that the the trinity goes off everyone uh the bomb the bomb happens there is it's the it. sound of the bomb though that's impressive isn't it really oh when my it, god because the, yeah. the 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 visuals are obviously distinctive but then the the kind of sound the sound hits and again, not computer generated, as is uh, um, Nolan's trait. No, it, was, it yeah. was done with. It was done with large real, amounts of gasoline. Yeah, I, yeah. I was going to say he, he actually got a real bomb. an atomic bomb. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so yeah so the uh the bump goes off again the um there is there is both celebration and a kind of you know a certain kind of like heart in the throat of what have mm. we done by the way and there was actually talk of like the scientists as they're developing it are debating you know what should be done with it i think yeah. at this point the, the the germans have surrendered and of course all these people gathered together saying we we came together to stop the nazis well, yeah they've been stopped. we don't what need are... to stop them now yeah and they're saying yeah. like can't can we can't we threaten to use it and yeah. basically yeah, the, the the generals are saying you just built it we're going to use yeah. it and... which is a we, 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 I mean, they're kind of naive, aren't they? Really, <laughs> what did they expect to happen? <laughs> I think, I think that, yeah. I mean, who knows what the truth is? But certainly portrayed as, you know, the, uh, yeah. as, as, as Jeff Goldblum would have put it, they spent so long thinking they could do it, they never stopped thinking they should do it. Oh, um, okay. See Jurassic Park, see, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> dripping yeah, in here. Yeah. But it's, it's, I know yeah. that here. <laughs> I was, I was saying, I was, we, no, not kilotons. Megatons. I know. I, I, I mentioned it because I was thinking back fondly to a film with a similar message, but an hour shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And had dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but they, uh, but they, so the, um, so Oppenheimer now is sort of beginning to get his his first bite of like because there's when he gives his victory speech, he's now envisaging you know yeah. kind of charred bodies yeah. and kind of. Like, he's, he's worried, isn't he? He's yeah. worried about it. Although again, the, the film very, very deliberately keeps the, the focus on Oppenheimer. There is no shots of again hiroshima or nagasaki or no, anything like that that's right because yeah obviously when the test is done obviously it hasn't dropped on hiroshima and nagasaki at that time yeah. and um it, it there's a there's a quite an uncomfortable scene when he is um when it's it's known that it's been dropped on japan and he has yeah. to, he does a little speech everyone's cheering does a little speech doesn't he, he goes well yeah. they, uh, they weren't expecting that or something i can't remember, I can't remember. they wouldn't have liked that would they yeah um, and you kind of realize immediately after he says it it's, it's like oh god yeah <laughs> but i think that, that was the scene in los Angeles. there was both cheering yeah. and people weeping yeah. because it's yeah. like that was the reaction they had but uh, i mean having having those sped on you know oppenheimer is is as you associate with the bomb he becomes the the, the father of the atomic age he's the and... spokesperson for the atomic agency isn't he yeah, and again, he's on Time Magazine. He's he's yeah. a, he's a big deal, um, and he's sort of using that clout to. Um, he's on the head of the Atomic Commission, but his his outlook towards this now is, you know, the bomb um, should be used. You know, we shouldn't accelerate and create more of them. It's it's yeah. very much the theme of you know he being the American Prometheus. Now it's like you've you've got fire, but you use it responsibly and he's like saying we don't invent the height the um the hydrogen bomb don't make yeah. them bigger yeah. because now the russians have very quickly got the bomb and one of the reasons being is they had agents in los alamos one of the people was a spy i think um you know and this there other people are under the microscope oppenheimer yeah. included because of his yeah. communist background and all this kind of stuff so this is this is now hanging over him he is a big wheel in american atomic policy but there's also you know connotations of we need to go faster and further and yeah. there are scientists what, like Teller yeah. who's willing to do it but yeah. he's not and I mean the implication is that what what Oppenheimer would prefer to do would be to to enter into a a, a, a collaborate a collaboration with the United Nations and Russia or the Soviet yeah. Union and obviously yeah. that is totally anathema to the, yeah. the US government <laughs> and I think before before this one of his rationales for for the bomb itself is no one will will fear it until they've seen it they won't yeah. they won't yeah. see it until they've they won't believe it until they've seen it so it needs to be used to create peace um which is whether whether or not that was Oppenheimer's <laughs> outlook this is this character's Oppenheimer's this, yeah this yeah that's exactly right you, yeah, you can certainly debate yeah. whether Oppenheimer believed this at the time or whether he actually had a fall from grace or whatever but in this you don't film know, yeah you don't know this in this film happening. this Oppenheimer this is what yeah. happens yeah and this is sort of when he comes into the orbit of straws which um again <laughs> narratively it'd be much better if he'd met straws earlier but that's history for you so he yeah. meets straws <laughs> until much later he was in very post-war um when he's at um 
what's the cat is it mit i think it is yeah, um, MIT, that's right yeah yeah so he's he's now become again a, a tenured professor at mit and straws is like the head of the board at mit um where albert einstein is also hanging out <laughs> which is nice um so straws is again he this is, is where, like, this is where i think there's a uh, artistic license isn't it right obviously because oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. these these are kind of you know created scenes but I felt that it was a touch forced, perhaps, but it does. It, it it's important for the plot, though. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose we've seen, we've uh, again uh, we've seen Albert Einstein before, and they uh, they were talking theoretically about the what the ball yeah, could do because yeah. they had these these this equation saying there was a small small chance <laughs> yeah. that it could ignite the atmosphere and destroy the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, that was quite a good scene. Um, there was done twice. First, uh, the second time they did it was with um Matt with Leslie. They just were just but just about to blow the the bomb yeah, off. Yeah, and he he's goes, like, okay. He said, what, 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 "What are you talking about? Oh, there was a there was an almost zero chance we could destroy the planet." He goes, "Almost zero." He goes, "Yeah, what would you be happy with? I'd be happy with the zero. But before that was was probably more poignant was when um, again Oppenheimer goes up to Einstein and hands him the form and saying, "Look, we've we've run the numbers. Can you just double check?" And Einstein he says, "He won't do it, will he?" He says, "I can't. I can't do yeah. the maths. He's this like, isn't this isn't me. This is I'm, it, you know, this isn't my problem." But he basically says, if you find out that this could happen, you've got to tell the Nazis right away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a really yeah. interesting thing. It's like, if you find this out, everyone's got to know about it and it could destroy the world. Because it yeah. does, they know. Because then, who, yeah, who cares who gets who, the bomb then? Yeah, who would do it? Yeah, so that, that was would interesting. would put it past the Nazis, though, would you? <laughs> I think if there was a big red button on the bunker, yeah, best not to dwell on that. Yeah. However, so this, this is the, the subsequent meeting, it's the post-war meeting, where again, Oppenheimer has a talk with Einstein that we don't know what it is yet, but um, when Strauss is, is, is behind it, he's running up to meet them afterwards, and Einstein just walks past and blanks Strauss, yeah. uh, Straw, sorry. Um, and of course, this to Straw... That is is, the, that's the thing that kind of, it renders him furious, doesn't it? He, he obviously in, thinks this is entirely about me. Yeah, and indeed that the... Um, the, the they then try and um, again show that the Oppenheimer and Straws had this antagonistic relationship, which does seem quite petty. I mean, what what they've what it comes down to is he thought he said something mean to me to Einstein, <laughs> yeah. so Einstein wouldn't shake my hand. Yeah. He embarrassed me talking about um, ex uh, um, exporting some kind of material to Norway, yeah. um, so everyone laughed at my expense. And yeah. he wouldn't shake my son's and fiance's hand at a party because he was preoccupied with something else. And yeah. that's pretty much it in terms of Straws. Is like I hate Oppenheimer now. Um, but yeah, we, uh, but that's politicians for you, though, isn't it? I know, but we don't we don't find this out. So what's what? No, we, we don't so find now, this now, out. Now, do we? So, after, so now we're about two thirds of the film post bomb. Yeah. Um, Straws is back in the confirmation hearing, and it's going badly for him. And he's like, and he's he's like, he's definitely portrayed now like, oh, I'm I was you know I was just a guy, you know, I'm just. Yeah. What, what, what am I doing? Why am I being pulled over the yeah. calls for Oppenheimer's yeah. crimes? And then we suddenly realise that, oh no, Straws has got like the Time magazine edited in his pocket and he's rigged the press and he's um, he's got someone else to leak Oppenheimer's security dossier yeah. uh, to, to, to inform on the security. And all of a sudden, one of Straws' aides is like, oh, you, you're not a victim of this. You're orchestrating all of this. Um, you did all this just to, to, to strip Oppenheimer of his credibility and his, and his security clearance. Yeah. And Straws is like, you know, kind of, Tightens his uh, tights like, yeah. Moi, me. Well, you know, sometimes you've got to, you've got to shuffle the pack, haven't you? Yeah, and it was very, yeah, it was very much suddenly turned to the politician. So all of a sudden, again, two hours into the film, we suddenly get a bit of a heel turn, and Straw yeah, is revealed to be he's not just the framing device through which we can see no. Oppenheimer. Um, he is he's the cause the, of Oppenheimer's downfall almost. Yeah, he caused Oppenheimer's downfall, and he's now yeah. going to get confirmed off the off the back of that because basically him and Oppenheimer were butting heads over the Atomic Commission. So yeah. he removes Oppenheimer as his opposing voice and he yeah. can rise to, it, to prominence. It, it, moves very it moves very much from a, a, 
a biopic, although you know, I think it's it's a broad biopic, but it moves very much from a biopic to a political thriller now, doesn't it? In the last yeah. hour, yeah. And we have to remember that the the nuclear the the Trinity uh, test is two hours into the film. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And so um, we then again jump to Oppenheimer's hearing, which has been going on again in, in, in throughout the, start, the film, throughout it, the film. But in different different ways. But this is where it heats up. Almost it's been used as, as a framing device to, to talk in the various conversations he's had, the various points in his life. Yeah. It's not until this point when you kind of get a parade of all the people Oppenheimer's worked with coming yeah. through and and basically cut and stab him in the back. Not all of them do. We can come to the yeah. fact that, um, and this is interesting in terms of how they have to kind of pay lip service to history because clearly yeah. some of the yeah. characters again like leslie groves always stood by oppenheimer he said yeah. you know looking at his dossier i can see that he's he's there are suspect conversations and yes. stuff going yeah. there but i cleared him then and i clear him now or whatever yeah um, just to be clear i think he's a lot he's loyal to the country and all this kind yeah. of stuff but there and there are others like ernest it's, it's not quite in the um in ernest lawrence um who's played by josh hartnett who's the kind of the practical physicist the experimental yeah. physicist rather than the theoretical physicist they're at loggerheads often but they have respect for each other he decides not to attend the commission doesn't he yeah um matthew modine, yeah. yeah yeah matthew modine as well who we haven't really talked about as vanavar bush i mean vanavar yeah. bush what kind of name is that <laughs> um he 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 defends and you don't expect him to actually do you so there's a lot of people there coming out yeah. for the, the, him but yeah. which is which is interesting him. because the because the narrative of this is meant to be oppenheimer's fall but of course there are characters who on the record stood up for him so it's kind of yeah. like you have to do that but also again tell her um well, both stabs him in the back and then shakes his hand. It's an interesting relation between Teller and Oppenheimer. Um, yeah. Teller kind of doesn't say anything untrue. He just goes, I have no faith in Oppenheimer, I have no trust in him. Um, yeah. There are other characters. Because well, he, he also says, I believe him to be very loyal to his country Yeah. as yeah. well, doesn't he? Um, yeah, he does. Uh, but again, so but, but beyond that, again, the... Um, Basically, yeah, it's funny because at the start of the film, because we get this this hearing at the start, it's just a hearing and you don't quite see what's going on. And when you find out that Straws has been pulling the strings, yeah. you kind of get a wide shot and you realise that one of the guys at the table is Oppenheimer's defending counsel, who has basically got yeah. a paper clip and, and, and a one sheet of paper. And the opposition, um, because it's not a court reams of law, but... and reams and reams, because it's not a court, it's not yeah. a, a, it's no it's not a trial. Yes, yes. Yeah, so they've, they've exactly. got enormous thick binders and just that yeah. visual of like they're prepared yeah. and they've got everything. And the defense counsel, who is competent and trying to do his best, mm. is so completely outgunned, he can't do a thing. Yeah, and it's not a level playing field, is it? Yeah. And so even you can see it tell by his frustration and his you know objections getting smacked down, all this kind of stuff, that yeah. they are sunk. Um, and, and the, 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 the prosecuting counsel, obviously, is Roger Robb, played by Jason Clark, yeah. who... Um, I, I last saw in the Planet of the Apes trilogy, I guess, really. But, I was um, thinking that too. Yeah. Yes. So I haven't seen him in much else since, but he's good in that. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, but I mean, he, he's a slime. Well, he's not a slimy character. I suppose he is a slimy character in the context he's of this film. He's a 1950s politician. Isn't he? You know, he is, yeah. yeah. But this is, got, this like, is again, this, one of those things that in this film, the Roger Rob in this film is a bit, a bit of a nasty piece of work. Yeah, yeah. And again, so again, um, was it... Uh, Emily Blunt kind of gets her one good scene in this. Where, yeah, because it, it, the film is, despite being three hours long, because it's so stuffed with actors, yeah, they, they, yeah. they don't get a lot to work apart from Oppenheimer and possibly Danny Jr. himself. Um, well, I think I think Cillian Murphy, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr. all have pretty impressive roles in this. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's basically walk-on pieces, isn't it? Yeah, really? Everyone else does what they can. It's kind of yeah, like a bit exactly. of too far. It's like yeah, it's, it's you, you bit, ever, yeah. gather everyone and they do what they can. I mean, I was thinking. I was thinking for about 
two hours and 45 minutes of the film why is rami malik in this well we'll come to that but yeah because yeah, um, he doesn't do anything <laughs> no, well okay, he's hardly in it but um so yeah so uh guess i will say emily Blunt has a good scene where she basically manages to stand up to um the prosecutor and kind of smack him down but yes. it's all to no avail because ultimately Oppenheimer was always going to be sunk um and and so he was uh he loses his um his security clearance which is you know he's not jailed or anything he's just his credibility is blown. discredited isn't he that's the yeah thing. and that's the thing yeah he's He's, he's and that's worse. Be, yeah, he's not going to be heard anymore. And again, yeah. they um, again the uh, well, teller well, they, comes they talk, up. I mean, um, what's his name? Uh, Straws talks about it. He says we don't want him to have a podium. We don't want him to have a voice. We don't want him to have a position. Yeah. We want him locked away in a room with no audience. Yeah. And then he just goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he was again. He so yeah. Straws suddenly says it to be very Machiavellian. Like he, the thing yeah. that triggered the entire hearing was arrival of Oppenheimer, who had his security dossier. And initially, Straws was like, "Oh, how did he get that?" And it's like, "You yeah. gave it to him, didn't you?" Oh yeah, don't my hands get bloody and this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we're coming into the the final reel now, which is Straws' confirmation, and all of a sudden it starts to go against him because that once again you have a parade of scientists, including the familiar faces. So Teller's there again, um, you know, backing, um, saying, "Grace, I think you should confirm this guy." And then Rami Malek is another. Um, scientist uh, David L. Hill comes in yeah. and nuclear kind of, physicist he also worked on yeah. the Manhattan Project yeah, yeah he's head of the Federation of American Scientists yeah. who we have seen in maybe one other scene what in, at most in the background like yeah, was, poss- yeah, was, yeah in the background not 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 front and centre in the background whilst yeah. the him and, and one other scientist are trying to get Oppenheimer to be more forthcoming and to collaborate more about the Manhattan Project with others yeah. Yes, like share, share, share the secrets with our allies yeah. and this kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so before you can say, I wonder why Rami Malek's in here, <laughs> <laughs> he, he just delivers the absolute coup de grace in saying like, no, as the scientific community, we have no faith in straws. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely not. You know, he, he completely shafted Oppenheimer. And then, you know, there are collective gasps and you know, straws turns. I would say he turns white, but it's, it's black and white at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, but he turns very pale and is like, uh-oh. Uh, so all of a sudden, Straws's career is is teetering and on the cusp of crashing because he basically overplayed his hand and again, yeah. the scientific community has turned against him. And again, so as he's he's sweating in the in the uh, the room and they kind of and he says, "I'll just get through, I'll squeak through." But for that was that was not yeah. pleasant. He goes, "I'm afraid they turned against you." There were a couple of holdouts. It, they, it was uh, one of them. One of them was a, a young a young senator from Massachusetts. And his name was John F. Kennedy. Who is, who is this upstart? <laughs> I will say that line was delivered with less subtlety than the atomic bomb explosion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a. Uh, but so, and, and that's pretty much where it ends. Okay, then, then um, they, they, and basically, I think, yeah, then, then Strauss really gets his, like, do you realize how petty you've been from again? The, the aide who was was backing up Strauss and then learns the hideous truth yeah. just goes, maybe, you know, Einstein and Oppenheimer didn't discuss you. Maybe they're yeah, discussing yeah. something maybe important. Something more important, yeah. And yeah. He, can't, he almost can't comprehend it, can he? Yeah, it's like more important. They, they flash back to the very, almost the very final scene when um, Einstein is talking to Oppenheimer, saying, you know, they, they've put you out to pasture now. They'll give you an award and they flash forward to Oppenheimer as an old man collecting his yeah. award from Lyndon Johnson and he's I think then Oppenheimer goes, you remember when I handed you that paper saying, I think we might destroy the world? And he goes, yeah, because I think we did it. Um, yeah. And then so with that in mind, Einstein walks off past Straws, clearly having a lot on his mind of them saying, <laughs> yeah. hello, Mr. Straws. Um, but that, that therein ends the film. Yeah, I mean, we we haven't mentioned, not that we should, but there's so much in the film. We haven't oh, yeah. even mentioned Gary Oldman's um, yeah. uh, scene as Harry Truman. 
Um, and we haven't mentioned Casey Affleck's scene. <laughs> We've barely mentioned Florence Pugh. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I mean, there's a lot, yeah. and there's well, a lot. you did a, you did a good job there because that was a that's a structurally very complex film. Or Casey um, Affleck is, is, is some weird cameo as a very mean prosecutor. <laughs> He was very sinister, though. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. I mean, cool, blimey. Yeah, this, this is, yeah, this was seen from Oppenheimer's past, but he can, can continue runs afoul of security. Um, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so that, that's that's the gist of it. Um, I'm sure if, if you're listening to this, it's not because you want to skip watching Oppenheimer to get, to get the, <laughs> the spoilers of it. But having having run through that, uh, we'd like to discuss it. I certainly would. Um, mm. So we will we'll take a short break. Um, possibly have an apple left on the table. Possibly not. You no, we didn't, even, didn't even talk about that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no one knows what we're talking about now. I think everyone who's seen the film is. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah, miss yeah. the apple. Um, right. But we will uh, we'll throw that into the trash and we will return with some views on the film. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. I hope you are safely behind your car windscreen with plenty of sunblock <laughs> and possibly even a slightly shaded glass. Well, that is all the safety you need in this new atomic age, which we now live in the cusp of, thanks to Robert J. Oppenheimer. Oh, and man. Levi Strauss. Yeah. <laughs> well, some I mean, jeans are very well built, aren't they? So they could probably withstand a bit of a nuclear bomb. But I was you know, looking at, I was reminded of, um, you see clips of Chernobyl. And they had the scientists that went in to the reactor oh, to yeah. stop it from um, to stop the fallout from happening more than it could have stopped the nuclear reactor from kind of imploding or whatever it was. Yeah. And they just went in in bin bags. Yeah, but but they ah, were they it? were we... they were pretty much liquidated by the, you know, their, their organs turned to jelly very quickly afterwards. Oh, that's what I mean. They did. Yeah. They all died within about a year. Oh. Some, oh, of wish, them, yeah. some of them weeks. You must mean that people have never respected any kind of safety. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's weird, isn't it? Like people people know the danger, and yet yeah. these these people. I mean, in some respects, they were they were martyrs, aren't they? Oh, here they went. Yeah, they went in basically knowing what it would do, in bin liners. What? Well, was the uh, well, no, it was the uh, recent, not recently within like maybe ten years, the um, that tsunami that hit Japan and their their the nuclear f- reactor. Yeah, f- was it Fukuyama? Yeah, and and the the engineers there kind of knew that their number was up, but stayed to make sure that the, the reactor was going to be safe. Um, yes, it's just wow. Yeah, and you know these people don't die nicely either. Oh no, you know. Anyway, <laughs> God, that was thanks, thanks Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> these scientists appeared again. I, I, because I, again, I've, I've seen there's some there's some movie that's possibly a B movie where they uh this this um it's it's a it's a doomsday scenario of the end of the world. And yeah. like um, it's the crew of a bomber plane is where you um you spend the entire time, and to yeah. to escape pursuit at some point they let off one of their many nukes to get rid of fighter jets, and one of the pilots just had a little peek through the uh the screen so it didn't close in time, and that's enough to blind him. Yeah. And that's what I was expecting. Oh, yeah. It's like a bit yeah. of bit of bit of black glass is not gonna you don't be looking eclipse through black glass anymore. I know. I mean the guy had, the guy in the car had his glasses on. Oh my god. So that's just gonna make it even more clear. <laughs> but yeah, but history has recorded these guys didn't immediately die. So they, well, something was happening. They didn't immediately die. Yeah, I mean, well, they're all dead now. But that was it was a long <laughs> well, time. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's that is life, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone well, at Los Alamos has died. Look at that. <laughs> what so similarly, that we'll we get onto the analysis of the film shortly. Similarly, the film um, Stalker by um, uh, Tarkovsky, okay, um, famous Russian um, filmmaker. He um, he filmed Stalker in um an area where there had been a, a nuclear power station that had basically gone 
wasn't really used much, if that makes sense. It hadn't been used for a long time, all this kind of stuff anyway. And there was high levels of gamma radiation in the area. Oh. And he, the main actor and the, the supporting actor that in, in the film, the cinematographer, the editor, all eventually died of cancer. All of them. Not, you know, not immediately. It was like 20, 25 years later or whatever. But they all died of cancer. All of them. Didn't they feel some in there, John Wayne playing Genghis Khan in like Los Alamos or something. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want it, would you? Well, I think that's where you got cancer from. from yeah, he uh, did from Los Alamos. Yeah, and possibly from Genghis Khan. You don't know what's more corrosive. To... <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, why didn't he get cancer? Because he was John Wayne. <laughs> there, there's John Maybe Wayne Stetson, and there's John Wayne. Someone saying, "Hey, this guy would make a great Mongol." Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> We're off track. Let's get on track. Let's look yeah. at the film because I think the the background to this film is it's already massive. I mean, it is it's already taken a fortune at the box office. Four hundred million dollars. Yeah. Uh, in its opening couple of weeks, I think yeah. really, and it, it needed is... to make four hundred million dollars to break even, and it's already smashed yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know it's dominated the news cycle for many many weeks. Yeah. It really has, it's... along alongside Barbie, which is yeah, interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oddly, but there we go. It is, a, it is a strange kind of symbol because obviously there's been jokes about, you know, the, the two biggest movies of the summer, yeah. this kind of stuff. I mean, and I'm sure, that, you know, they're both publicity agents are ramping that up because, of course, you can you can just keep that in a perpetual spin with each other in each other's orbit. Um, yes. Yeah, you can. I haven't and seen so... Barbie yet. I'd, I'd go and see it. Oh, yeah, I would as well. It sounds like um, great stuff. Well, it does. It does. I suppose if I, ha- I suppose I had the opportunity to go and see Barbie, but I went to see Oppenheimer. So, Indeed. you know, the, the choice was there. I went to see Oppenheimer. But well, I would have had an be... awkward conversation if, if you wanted to see Barbie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. But it does look quite good. But I suppose they're so different yeah. that they can they can exist in the same orbit, can't they? Yes. Yeah. But this yeah. is huge. Yeah, this is huge. And I mean, it's huge in its in it in what it's taken in in the scale of the filmmaking. You know, all of this stuff. It's just it's an the, immense the, film. The sheer cast. The um. I mean, the, the cast that... is inc- the cast is incredible. The cast is yeah, this world. Yeah, the cast again is. I, I got annoyed think... at one point because I thought. <laughs> I was a little bit like what you were saying with I couldn't remember any of the blooming characters because all I could see were these A-list Hollywood stars in tiny roles. Yeah, yeah. It was getting on my nerves. I was like, just have, have it. Where's the character actors? <laughs> <laughs> just give me a character actor. Uh, <laughs> um, again, Chris Novakun is probably again one of the biggest directors again of uh, of modern times. Um, well, when you say biggest. Yeah. I, uh, what do you mean by that? Because I don't mean the sense that he's like nine foot tall or anything like that. <laughs> but, but he makes films that are epic in stature, right? Yeah. That's 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 what he does. He makes films for the cinema, doesn't he? Yeah. He makes films on IMAX. He films um, in thirty five millimeter, in sixty five millimeter, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And he makes films that need to be seen at the cinema, really, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I say, b- b- between the Batman trilogy and then things like, you know, Inception, yeah, um, Interstellar, Interstellar, um, The Prestige, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even ones the last two, Tenet and what was the one yeah. before that? Oh, Dunkirk. So again, Dunkirk yeah. is a, yeah, yeah, a similar yeah. ilk of massive thing happening. Um, and, and not just <clears> the mass- <throat> and one of the things is it's not just the it's not the topic that makes it massive. It's the way he films it. It's yes, the story yeah. he tells. It's the way he tells the story that makes it epic he always structures a film in different timelines doesn't he e- even films that you don't expect i mean this this film doesn't need to be structured in the way it is it makes it an interesting film because it is um but all of his films have some element of time bending <laughs> to them 
yeah, I mean, probably the Batman's the most linear of them all, but um, even that plays with it a little bit. In terms yeah, of, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, but almost that, that's they're, they're almost his most conventional films of the three Batman. Uh, yeah, that's true. Movies, everything else, you know, he's off the chain. Um, but so yeah, I mean, yeah, and also it's it's also got you know Oscars splattered all over it. It's um, it's I without predicting anything, it'd be I'd be very surprised this didn't clean up. It's it's got Oscar winners everywhere to it. Yeah, I mean. What, <sighs> I'd like to go into the themes of the film, but it's probably worth it's probably worth just starting with regards to the, the cast, actually, because I know it goes very deep, but yeah. it's, it's it's a it's a different depth to any other film I think I've seen in a long, long time, because it's not it's also not like one of those war films from the 60s or 70s or the Cannonball Run films or you know where the people were just in it because it was because they all had cameos. Yeah, you know, every every person in this film, although. I mean, even Rami Malek, as you say, he didn't say a lot. He didn't have much of a role, but then he did have a role. They all have yeah. a role in this, but even though yeah. some of the roles are quite small. But I, I, I personally think um, Killian Murphy is incredible as Oppenheimer. I, yeah. he, I think he's. I think his performance in this film necessarily holds it together, right? I mean, he, he is Oppenheimer in this, but I was so surprised about Robert Downey Jr., who is superb in this film, superb, yeah. Yeah. and really slimy and but utterly convincing. I really but, enjoyed watching him in this, and it's it's not that, you know, because I, I love the Marvel movies and, you know, see yeah, a yeah. lot of them. I think he's brilliant in them, and it's not like the Marvel movies didn't require a dramatic performance, no. but I couldn't remember a movie where he's really got his teeth into a role. He's like really kind of yeah, let time. go a little bit. And he's so you know? good. He's just like, he you, is, you forget yeah. that he was such a good, he is such a good actor. Well, you know, he's, he's Oscar nominated. I mean, in Chaplin, he was fantastic. Now he's a very, very good actor. I mean, yeah. you know, stellar actor. And this, he really shows it. But for me, I mean, actually, Cillian Mur- Killian Murphy is probably the one in this, right? But Robert Downey yeah. Jr. is a close, very, very close as well. But for me, the one that I think is a bit underrated is Matt Damon. I think yeah. he has quite a challenging role in this to be the counterpoint to Killian Murphy's Oppenheimer's scientist. Yeah. And what I think is that there's quite a lot of dialogue between those two where there's a lot of um kind of um there's a lot of discussion a lot of a lot of kind of um disagreement a lot of deceit a lot of uh, machinations and not always from people not always from the sides that you expect it to be from either so they they kind of give as good as they get and i think that they develop a grudging respect for each other because of that and i think his his interpretation of the military man in this is exceptional as well um and i thought him and um killian murphy had really good chemistry yeah, yeah, I could have watched a lot more of those two kind of putting yeah, the team absolutely. together and this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, what do we get? Any any other praise? I, I've got things I I felt about it as well <laughs> in terms of not so great. Uh, any any yeah. other things to to say were really good about me? I think yeah, production of so, it, cast. Um, yeah, I mean the other it, thing. Okay, so let, let's, why don't we go with the the positives? Because yeah, um, I I went into this film with very very high hopes i have to say yeah. um for a number of reasons firstly i've read the book that it's based okay. on okay. american prometheus um and it's a bloody brilliant book um and it's it's really interesting but unlike a filmed version of it you know it's it's 700 800 pages long and you can get you really do get into the the character, not the character. You really get into the the personality of Oppen, of of um, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. You really do, and I think the film does a very good job of getting into his psyche and getting into the things that happen. But so that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. So it does it does a good job in interpreting the book's 
kind of framing of Oppenheimer. Yeah. And you yeah. do really get a sense of Oppenheimer of being a bit of an he's a bit of a knobber, isn't he? He's a bit of an arsehole to a certain <laughs> yeah. extent. Well, he's very arrogant, you know, and yeah. fair enough, right? I mean, you know, he's probably I mean, Nolan described him as the most important um, person that's ever lived right? <laughs> because of the changes that he made yeah, to, yeah. to the way that we live and whether you agree with that or not you know it's 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 an argument so I, I really like that but I had high expectations from this um I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed the it, it's in some respects it's not like a Christopher Nolan film in that there is one set piece in the film isn't there yeah the 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 Trinity uh, test yeah. um and actually i have to admit to being finding that scene not my not my favorite parts of the film actually okay. and, and often in a christopher nolan film it is the extraordinary set pieces that you yeah. remember but in this it's much more the interplay and the dialogue between characters which i think is really good i re, i mean my favorite scenes in the film were with um oppenheimer and um leslie graves i, I think you know i really really enjoyed those scenes i liked the the dialogue heavy aspect of it yeah. it's not perfect in it necessarily but I, I think that that really came across quite strongly um i also um th there's a pro and a con to this but we'll stick to what i thought was good about it yeah. you do, i think you do get a sense of what you get a sense of what happened to oppenheimer as a result of his it's not as a result of the bomb, but it's as a result of his political leanings, I guess, really. Um, and I think that was quite clever because a film like this could really focus a lot on the bomb itself. Yeah. And actually the final hour, which becomes much more like a political thriller, is interesting. Right? It provides a different slant to it. But it is it is a whole hour at the end of a two hour film. <laughs> which <laughs> yes. I think is maybe we'll come back to that. What about you? Um, for me? Yeah, I think. Um... I agree with again a lot of that. I think I was I was certainly yeah, massively impressed by the performances and mm. the set pieces. And yeah, I'd agree that this actually is, despite the fact it seemed like you know Christopher Nolan was inevitably doing Oppenheimer. It's very out of his comfort zone. It's, I it's think it not, is, yes. it's not his usual type of film, which no, is interesting. Yeah, and, in some yeah. respects, it's a very it's a very introspective film, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, about individuals, it just happens to be in the context of the development of the atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah. And what I was going to say is that it's interesting you said you read the book because I listened to a podcast that gave the backstory too. But I think this is almost required reading because I think if you don't know again, all the people he name checks yeah. and, and if you don't yeah. know again yeah. the, the people in the, in the, the world of, the, of you know um, East Coast communism he was intermingling with and you don't know who Louis Strauss is. It's, yeah. it's a hard. All the physicists. It is a yeah. hard watch, isn't it? You're learning a, a lot. Yeah. You have to learn a lot, and I think that's. I think that's too much to ask of an audience. What you're putting in there, because had I not done that reading, I would have been saying, "Well, I know who Oppenheimer is, and I kind of yeah. get they're inventing the bomb, but I don't yeah. know anything else what's happening here." And, and it I does drop you in it, doesn't it? It does drop. Really you in does, it. yeah. Yeah. So I think that was that was an issue for me in terms of what it is, and we'll, we'll come again now to to the structure. I think because ties in nicely. It's a framing within a framing within a backstory, which yeah. is, again, that's. Nolan's that's Nolan, isn't it? And yeah. he does that all the so that's not an issue. You know, from the memento to you know the prestige to yeah, um, yeah. it's a stellar, yeah. that's fine to play with time. But the thing is, the backstory is so big, it, it yeah. and it's so important. It, it's it's just two hours of it, and it pushes out the framing devices to the extremes. It does, doesn't it? To the yeah. point is, yeah. you, as you just said, when you return to them, you think, oh, is this a whole new story now? Because what yeah. I think what it really is yeah. is not 
a framing device that plays with time and allows you into this story. What it really is, is the story of the Manhattan Project or the Trinity. Yes. Explosion. Yes. And then you have another story about Oppenheimer's, you know, fall from grace and the man, yeah. who, the petty, the pettiness of the man who brought him down, which is a whole other story. And they're kind of bolted onto each other. Um, yeah, they are. Because you, in, in the first two thirds of the film, you get snippets of the you get snippets of the the commission story and, yeah. and, and, and that kind of stuff, don't you? But you don't, you don't really get into it until that final hour. Yeah. It builds up and it builds up to yeah. a kind of crescendo, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I'll tell you what, what, what again, what's the, what I think this frame device was working against itself was, it, if you're going to use this, uh, and I'll come to some examples very at the end, but I think it's been used better. If you're going to use this, you use it to make that backstory more accessible. More accessible, so yeah, so you if Oppenheimer's yeah. in that yeah. committee room and it's saying, yeah. oh, why did you talk to Teller? And he goes, well, yeah. Teller was the genius guy who's had these ideas about hydrogen. Yeah. That's yeah, why yeah. I talked to Teller. And then you flash back to when he talks. To, and yeah. there was none of that in terms of like, I'm going to make it easier. It was basically they were interrogating about, you know, did you talk to this person in this meeting at this time? And, he's, and then he yeah. flashed back. Like, was this important? I don't understand. And, the, and the, I think this is, this comes down to one of the challenges I have with the film, which is to, to what extent is, I mean, the film doesn't have to be this. Okay. So before I yeah. say what I'm going to say, it doesn't have to be this. It's its own thing. But to what extent is the film a, a biopic of, yeah. Oppen I don't know that it is. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be, but it seems to be presented like that. To me, it's a story about the Manhattan project and an incredible personality yeah. within that story and then it's about how these figures these incredible figures can be brought down yeah and, and i think that that's the interesting story there but you're right because it kind of took on the weight of of the manhattan project of oppenheimer and it took on the almost the responsibility of a biopic yeah it had to include all the scientists well, yeah, who were involved yeah, yeah, in it. yeah and it had it, to yeah. and therefore they're all played by famous actors and they're all name checked yeah. and you don't need them you if you're going to tell no, that story don't. and this is the problem it's history and you know there really were these characters nils borg and, and edward teller and yeah. they were all yeah. there but if you're going to tell a story that, that where they're not the most important thing mm. you could boil that down to a couple of them and i, and, co and, I completely and, agree you need and, the, you, yeah. yeah you don't need all these all the actors with your attention saying oh i'm watching josh hartland no i'm watching kenneth Branagh. No, oh no this guy's good i mean he's gonna well, watch rami malik i think a prime example of that is the way that and this is a criticism of christopher nolan's filmography generally actually yeah. i think it's better in this film but it's still not perfect i think it's his portrayal of women um mm. I, so um gene tatlock you don't I know that she is a real person or she was a real person. And yeah. I, know, I know that she had an affair with um, Oppenheimer and they had a, they had a love affair and all this kind of stuff as well. The film doesn't need it. Yeah. And that's an example of something that, that that's the biopic pushing into a story about the development of the atomic bomb and the for the ironically, the fallout of the atomic bomb for an individual, that individual yeah. being Oppenheimer. Yeah. Right. Um, and so in, in some regards, why have in as as another example in the book the first i don't know third of the book describes oppenheimer's childhood and his relationship to his parents and how he builds the kind of the personality that he has right and um there is nothing in the film about his parents at all there is one fleeting reference when straws describes says that his his father was a shoemaker yeah. and oppenheimer says well my father was a tailor so i understand the kind of processes and that and, and but what it doesn't tell you is the relationships that he had with his mother and his father were instrumental in him developing what what was considered to be a very arrogant and intense personality trait he 
loved his mother and his mother loved him almost too much, if that makes sense. Whereas he felt slightly embarrassed by his father, who was uh, a German immigrant who developed a tailoring business, whereas his mother was much more of noted you know, money, you know, yeah, old money, yeah. as it were. And so he felt a little bit embarrassed. He loved his dad, don't get me wrong, but a little bit embarrassed by it. And so really threw himself into becoming the very best yeah. that he could possibly be. And he was a polymath, right? It wasn't just physics. It could have been poetry. It could have been literature. Yeah, he spoke yeah. loads of languages. He was just, yeah. inc- he was just brilliant, yeah. right? So if it's going to be a biopic, forget the gene tatlow stuff get the get, get his relationship with the parents in right yeah. that feels more important but i suppose what the what the, the 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 relationships with with gene has is it shows his almost his decision making isn't he, he might be brilliant but he's also flawed in that regard but i, I don't know you don't need it yeah if, but if, you, if, you, if you, you don't have that then you've almost got no women in it well, you've got his wife, I suppose, but then she, what role does she have in it, really? She has, she, I mean, um, um, Emily Blunt has a really great scene yeah. where she goes head to head with um, Robert Robb, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's a really good scene as well. But, I mean, that, you know, that's two hours and 30 minutes into the film. Yeah. And other than that, she just kind of sits in the background drinking martinis. I know that it was getting her, the, her, the alcoholism was really highly telegraphed. <laughs> yes. like, she's always got a hit flask. Like, okay, we've got an alcoholic. Yeah, we'll get it, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Um, no, and it was almost, it was almost like there was like, a foot, yeah. there's a, like a footnote in the book saying, make sure we understand that Kitty Oppenheimer had a drinking problem. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, put a martini yeah. glass in her hand. But it's seat. never really dwelled upon, though, is it? And it doesn't have to be dwelled upon, don't get me wrong. But I think if you're going to structure a film the way that it's structured, you either have to include more information and make it a biopic about Oppenheimer yeah. or lose it and yeah. make it about the Manhattan Project and the downfall of Oppenheimer. Yeah, it, it felt like it was trying. And I think that the second way is more interesting. But oh, it was always, it was almost like the responsibility of we're doing the Oppenheimer flick, therefore we've got to include yeah. these bits. Yeah. And it's, it was it's, it's I guess it's like if you're you know you're trying to um, put Lord of the Rings on the screen, it's like you can't lose this bit. It's very important to have Gandalf in and Balrog. Yes, exactly. It's yeah, like you're yeah. not losing that bit. I don't care if it gets the way of the story. It's got yeah. to be in there. And, and because like of that, it's nine hours long. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so the, I've yeah. got no problem with the three-hour film necessarily, right? It yeah. You know, it's okay. I just don't think this needs to be. Having yeah. said that, I, I was engaged throughout it. Don't get me wrong. I never felt at one point like I wasn't looking at my watch thinking, yeah. what's going on here? But um, I just think, it, I don't know, for all, yeah. of its, for, all of its, for all of its really positive reviews and the fact that it's been lauded, I, th- I think to myself, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good film. Don't get me wrong, it's a really good film, but it could have been a classic Yes, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, um, and mm-hmm. it's funny you talk about the, the length of it. You know, the the two hour mark, the bomb goes off, which you'd think would be a wake up. <laughs> it's it's more like yeah, yeah. it took so long to get there. You, you think, Oof. Um, in fact, what the, the shot of adrenaline is when Straws does his reveal that comes it shortly is. after that, and that's well, that's when I sat up and think, okay, I can make the last hour now. I'm really into <laughs> it. Yes, which yeah, you could say yeah. is good filmmaking because it, it came in exactly the right time. It but also, exactly it, right it is time. it is yeah. like. You've seen one movie. We're going to give you another shorter movie. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's like having the sequel right after it. Um, well, so that's what I felt. He, and I mean, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh here, but this is another problem that I have with the film. Then, um, it's it's not a problem in as much as the straws reveal. It's not really a reveal, but it's a kind of the 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 revelation that straws is basically being kind of um, setting this whole process up. Is is the kind of heart thumping bit and it's dialogue heavy and it's very the political machinations and then it felt felt much more like a I don't know like a 1960s 
um, kind of paranoid thriller. It was really good. I enjoyed that. Um, but it lost a little bit for me because it was in the final hour of the film, but it did keep me going in that. But the, the challenge with that is that when I when I reflected on it afterwards, because in, in the moment I was, you're right, the adrenaline was pumping. I was thinking, yeah, this is good. This is good. On reflection, though, I was thinking this film is about the development or part of this film is about the development of the atomic bomb. The thing that fundamentally changed how we live yeah. in in the way and in the way that we deal with kind of national security and stuff a fundamental change and i felt it did it did touch upon the ramifications the moral dilemmas of the development of the bomb it did do that but it did it in quite a pragmatic way so there is a scene where there there are the scientists in los alamos describing the fact that okay the nazis have surrendered do we need to drop the bomb now and then there's the political view which is well Yes, we do need to drop the bomb because it shows that we can drop the bomb, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, but that what, what I was expecting more of was more of how he, Oppenheimer, was dealing with that dichotomy, yeah. right? Because it's almost like as soon as that happens, the film goes into the political dimension and the downfall of Oppenheimer, yeah. rather than the moral question about the bomb itself and there are very strong moral arguments about the bomb being dropped and not being dropped one of the arguments i mean one of the arguments about the bomb being dropped was that japan wasn't going to surrender and that they were never going to surrender and so it ended the war now whether i agree with that or not that is a strong moral argument Right. You don't have to agree with a moral argument to believe that it's a strong moral argument. That's a strong moral argument. The counterpoint is it never needed to be dropped on Japan because the Nazis had surrendered and therefore the war was coming to an end. Depends what you believe. Yeah. It depends what your feeling is. I never got much of that. And that's the really interesting stuff. But I think that's because, again, as we say, that the focus was kept on Oppenheimer. If this was the story of the, say, the atomic bomb, then you would have you would have. Meetings you would bring on, more people in, wouldn't you? Yeah, bring you would more have politicians Harry, in. Yeah, you'd have Harry Truman in the meeting because then we, we only get a glimpse of Harry Truman when he goes, "Don't show that crybaby in there again." Yeah, which yeah. I think he, I think he used stronger words than that. But also, I mean, yeah. it was it's, it's a truthful it, statement, though, yeah, isn't it? It was, it was portrayed from Oppenheimer's perspective because it was an Oppenheimer. But if we'd had behind yeah. the scenes of Truman, I mean, Truman's, yeah, I think his his approach was, they yeah, they just gave him the tool. It was my decision to use it. The, yeah, the blood is on my hands. Oppenheimer can't, you know carry all this guilt it's not yeah. his bomb any more than so, it, yeah, it's collective guilt and this kind of stuff so but so you're right, good, it, because it's it, focused on Oppenheimer we don't see we don't see story. it do we? we don't really see like people in Moscow going the Americans have got this we want one too <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this kind yeah. of stuff and oh, don't get me wrong and again you know that's we're a reviewing story. a different film aren't we? it's a different yeah. film but it makes me think that um as much as as much as I am hugely impressed with the technical achievements of this film yeah. um I wonder what it would have been like if someone like Oliver Stone had directed it and it had been more like, say, JFK, you know, because that is a much that's a uh, JFK is it's that isn't a biopic. Don't get me wrong, but it is a story about the assassination. Right. And it takes in not just the assassination, but all of the conspiracy theories, all of the things that sit around it. And it makes a coherent argument. And I love a film that makes you believe the narrative that's being told yeah right because you when you watch I mean, i've not seen jfk for a long long time but i remember thinking at the end of jfk yeah i absolutely believe that that's what <laughs> happened because it was absolutely bat crap 
Of course it was, but it was presented in such a way yeah, that it yeah. was totally believable. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, and in some respects, that's what I wanted a bit more from Oppenheimer. Yeah. I wanted it. And you know, let's not forget the the assassination of JFK is factual right that's in history the development of the atomic bomb and the downfall of Oppenheimer and all of the problems that he had and all this kind of stuff is factual yeah right so they're both factual one's gone down the road of just making it up right <laughs> or no presenting a narrative argument yeah. in a way that makes you go Bob th- that's it isn't it bloody hell that's it and Oppenheimer does it in a slightly different way which focuses on the individual so you yeah. never quite get the sense of what what's being told here yeah, yeah. So actually, you can explain to me. So again, I I saw I clocked the black and white and the color, and Nolan's done this before, uh, and it was yeah. almost like I know this means something, but I don't know what it means because I, well, it, it doesn't quite reflect. Yes, the, it's, not, it's not flash forward and flashback. No, it isn't it, flash it forward and flashback. Well, no, so look, I mean, I I, this, I don't know whether this is true or not. But it's just my interpretation of watching the film. So Nolan's done something similar with Memento. Yeah, that um, made more sense actually because it was memory, wasn't it? So the yeah. black and white was memory and, and that kind of stuff, whereas the color was the here and now. Black and white so, was going backwards and color was going forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there is a, I suppose, there is a fundamental time shift because the the black and white presents one story arc. Yeah. And the color presents one story arc and they overlap with each other to a certain degree in that context. But I, I the, the way I saw it was that the, 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 the stories in color were a lot more about the factual historical elements of Oppenheimer's development of the atomic bomb at Los Alamos and um, his appointments and conversations. The one exception is probably the the conversation he has with um einstein in that okay. context right yeah. that's probably the one exception but i think that is an interesting counterpoint because it's the final scene yeah. and so therefore it almost leaves it hanging as to what we want to believe in that or not the black and white is so so the, the color is objective yeah. the, the color version that we see is the objective facts okay it's interspersed with um artistic license and all this stuff to make the film enjoyable right and you know you, you have to do that but fundamentally it's a more straightforward version of Oppenheimer being brought into the Manhattan Project and then building the the, the atomic bomb. The black and white scenes, um, I think, are much more subjective. Okay. They're much more interpretive and open to debate about what happened or what didn't happen. Now, we know that there was a commission. We know that Oppenheimer was brought in as um, in a deposition, really, in, in that regard. So we know those things that happened. But we don't know what happened in those meetings necessarily to a certain degree. Yeah. And we don't know the extent to which Nolan and the script that he's written how he represents those characters in those situations that for me is fiction it's not fiction in terms of the fact that these things happen but it's fiction in terms of how he interprets the story you know the reveal the um the fact that straws i think is depicted hideously in the film now he might have been a hideous character i have no idea right i I don't know but i'd be amazed if he was as hideous as that right (laughs) My, my point is is that it goes from being an artistic version of history to a story okay. about an event. And that's where I think the two, the two distinctive approaches are set out. One is very objective, the color, and one is very subjective. It's Nolan's interpretation of the events. Okay. I don't know. 
that's how Again, I, I, I wonder if you're you expecting it. the audience to work that hard on that. Though, maybe not. That. No, maybe because not. Because in, in Memento, it seemed to help, and here. It it if it, it was it's a lot of thinking. But, yeah, well, yeah. I was just, I, the, yeah. the only reason why I came to that conclusion yeah. was because when I was watching the film, I was getting a little bit worked up. I mean, it's ridiculous, really. I'm supposed to be enjoying myself, but I was getting a bit worked up in the cinema with the Robert Downey Jr. scenes. Yeah. As uh, you know, as fantastic as he is, he's brilliant in it. Um, I was getting worked up because I, I was thinking, well, how do we know whether this person? Is this a fair representation of this person? Okay. <laughs> Irrespective of what I absolutely think about his politics yeah. or his or anything like that, yeah. is it a fair representation of this person? Now, it may it might not matter. It might not matter whether it's a fair representation uh, uh, um, representation or not. But it's in a film about a person mm. at a time that is depicted as a biopic. Yeah. So, in some respects, it needs to matter. But it's interesting. Would you even be asking that question of Straws had you not read the the book? Because I remember again, I, I knew Straws from the background reading of Oppenheimer. So when he came out, and I thought, oh, he's not he's not being portrayed so bad. They went in that direction, um, mm. but then he did the heel turn. But I'm thinking, if you just came to this cold, you'd be thinking, uh, senator, what, you, hearing. Yeah, you'd be thinking, what? How on earth did yeah. he get to that position? The you other know, thing, I, I mean, yeah, yeah go sorry, go. On. Just again, in terms of of how this is portrayed, is that. I don't know whether this is this is good filmmaking or not, but again, we mentioned it before. If Rami Malek hadn't been the scientist delivering that momentous yeah. flip at the end that turned the plot on its head once again, would we have paid attention? If it had been just a regular actor, because mm. um, because you're watching and thinking, it's Rami Malek, what's he going to do now? So yeah, idea something's going to have to happen, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 So if they'd not cast him and it'd been a regular guy, would you have not been falling asleep and thinking he hadn't said anything momentous? Is that a you know a cunning piece of casting, or is that just the fact that you needed to throw in that stunt, if you like, to get people engaged in that bit that's important to watch. I, I'm probably going to, f- uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give Nolan a pass on that because mm. I, I think I agree with you. I, I, well, I don't know, I don't know whether you're actually propositioning something there, but <laughs> I, 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 the principle is, um, if it was a character actor that we don't really know as much, or someone who delivered the same role, the same words in exactly the same way with such, you know, with with a really good performance, if it wasn't a known actor would yeah. we have engaged with would it would it have had the 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 heft exactly yeah and yeah. not just because he's a good actor probably, but also because he's a not. known actor you could, yeah that's it yeah you, you can be a good yeah, actor yeah, exactly. and unknown but he's a good known actor yeah. so your eyes are looking at him thinking what's he gonna do yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly it could be simon russell beale couldn't it you know he's, <laughs> you know, he's known in the theater but isn't in isn't in cinema no yeah. you're right i think i think I'll, you know that's a fair point yeah. um and it's probably the same with um Casey Affleck in the role that he has because yeah, he's yeah. very sinister in it but then yeah. there are other there are other performances like uh, you know Matthew well, I think, I think, like, yeah. does it have to be yeah. Matthew Modine or um, yeah. Josh Hartnett meh? I mean <laughs> yeah but I think that's the difference again even even Casey Affleck could be played by a regular sinister actor because he was just meant to, to give a presence um again Matthew Modine and Casey Affleck it's um, um similar but I think it was that that moment of Rami Malek. It's like it's very important you watch this bit and understand this yeah, bit. I think so you right. you need to pay attention to this bit. But I um, mean, I, I don't know. And maybe this is just me. Uh, whilst that scene yeah. is important for the film, <clears throat> I felt it a little bit underwhelming. Okay. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll come to why I thought so too. Actually, okay. You, okay, this is you, you go first. Now, yeah. Well, because in the end, it was still only about a 90 second scene and it was intercut with other scenes it was edited it wasn't just one single 
um, it wasn't one single scene. It was it was intercut with other scenes from other, you know, the timeline and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. it, I felt it kind of lost a little bit of its urgency. So a counter argument to that is in Judgment at Nuremberg, yeah. um, the, the, the film about the trials of them, uh, you know, a lot of the kind of Nazi um, yeah. head on shows right um i can't remember the, the actor's name so forgive me but he's a very famous actor um he was a very troubled actor but he has what is basically five minutes in a three-hour film right and in those five minutes the entire and he he's giving a he's giving a um evidence right he's giving a testimony and in that five minutes the in, and it's literally five minutes long the in the camera doesn't move from his face and it's him squirming in the chair. It's him really putting it out there. It's an incredible piece of acting. Okay. And it's five minutes long. But it carries such power because you are focused on him. That's it. Was this, I didn't feel like it was. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, what I felt about, not just this scene, but in general throughout the whole film, is that the, 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 you know, the, the ways you break the film up, it is either a senatorial hearing or a senatorial mm-hmm. confirmation hearing. It's either a behind-the-doors trial-like committee or it's scientists discussing physics yeah and the language used is very you know legalistic and proper and formal and i think there is a fairly big absence of wit throughout the script yeah. and i think I mean, but that that's, misses that's nolan as well i think yeah i mean i think, I think. one of the, the initial lines of real, what i said at the beginning was actually when um when gene tatlock he's like um oppenheimer yes. was saying about his, his his psychologist gave him this thing he goes maybe you just need to get laid and that's yeah. almost one of the few throwaway and funny lines yeah. in the film yeah. and i thought in in other hands you can you can achieve court like court you know, court hearings there are other other films that do you know court scenes yeah. and still manage to have a bit of levity a bit of, of, of wit in in between the, the, the serious stuff you've got to have the light notes with the heavy well, ones so i'm having some senior moments today because i can't seem to remember any actors or scriptwriters. but who's the guy that wrote um uh um for a few good men. Oh, that was exactly who I was thinking of. Um, I can't remember his name. <laughs> it's <laughs> ridiculous, Sorkin. right? Yeah, Sorkin. Yeah, and, and the Social Network, right? Again, well, do you know what? Yeah, because um, I'm going. I'm going to now land on my, my premises. Uh, what if this film had been directed by David Fincher and written yeah. by Aaron Sorkin? Because the yeah, Social yeah. Network is a framing device within a framing device, kind of it a double legal yeah. hearing yeah. that yeah. talks about a. Backstory. It is. You're right. That deals with the, the transition from one world to another, from the, the digital yeah. world. <laughs> so it, it's obviously not as, as momentous, it's pretty important, but it deals with all those things. And at not one point in the film are you lost, no, not you're one not. point are you bored. Or you're, not, you're not never one, disengaged. And you're you? never disengaged. And the, and the framing devices are used to make the backstory more interesting and more um, accessible. And yeah. both the framing devices are clear. You know what the stakes are, you know how they resolve. Yeah, you do, yeah, and you I was do. just, again, almost about half through the film, I thought, God, I think the social network did this better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a completely different film, isn't it? Right. Uh, I don't but, think it's that but, different, though. I think. Well, I no, think... no. I mean, the, the, the what, what I mean by that is, it's a different. It's a. It's about a different thing, but yeah. it it does the same thing, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Same... It tries to do the same thing. This tries to do the same thing as that, but that does it yeah. a lot better. You're right. It's the. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I think that. it might be because again, an atomic explosion is more important than you know a social media thing that you know that people update their status on. <laughs> sure but that's not the point is it you, no but I'm you, know, saying you can that, make no. any story interesting well that's the you? point again the creation of a website as we, as we said and we talked about it is an inherently boring thing and the fact they it made is. entertaining two hours out of it is fantastic well but not my point, just my an point entertaining is, two hours a thrilling two hours absolute, absolute classic yeah yeah um, but my point is because it's you know it's the oppenheimer you know, capital o, yeah. <laughs> capital p yeah. oppenheimer yeah. story it, yeah. you cannot 
it's much harder, I think, to get that kind of whimsical. I, I agree. The it's a bit too. It's a bit too pious. In That's some the thing. Respects, it's like it? well, you know, you you have the hearing in the social network, and you can stop for the Zuckerberg character, Jesse Eisenberg, to throw a few quips out there and crack a few jokes, and you you're a bit loosened up, and you're ready for the next bit. Here, because it's it's senatorial hearings, and everyone is sitting so proper, and there's like a yeah. tear being held back, and everything is so 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 important. It's 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 weird. I'm just like I mean, it's, it's like the soundtrack. It just pounds you relentlessly. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I think yeah I agree with that completely. I was going to say something then. Um. One of the things the comparison with the social network is it's genuinely it's a really good point. One I hadn't considered, but yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. So David Fincher and, and Aaron Sorkin. I mean, I mentioned um. Uh, Oliver Stone. It's, yeah. I suppose it's a different type of approach, really, isn't it? But they're two films, two filmmakers who you could get. I think you could get a, not a, a different film out of this, a more satisfying film out of this. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, the difference is, is that in The Social Network, there is a lot of exposition through dialogue, but yeah. the dialogue feels so natural yeah. and so <clears throat> quick and I mean, very complex, but very simple that you just go with it. In Oppenheimer, there's a lot of exposition and it just feels like exposition. It, but in a way, yeah, it, there, there is, there is, and in a sense there isn't because there's a lot of talking about everything. Yeah. Um, but what it lacks is, and they've almost got it in, in fact of Leslie Groves, but they don't have an explain to me character. Yeah, they don't. No, they don't. Because you, no, you need, no. you need, because they do have, they have this time montage where they're going around the country, shaking hands with scientists in different places. And they say, yes, I'm on board the project. No, I'm not. But you need often have to say, you know, we need this guy on board because yeah. no one can do fusion like he can. We need yeah. this guy because he's, and there's none of that. It's simply a case of they talk to someone, they talk to, you know, Nils yeah. Bohr. They tick yeah. him off the list. We've met with him. Yeah. We talked to Edward Teller, yeah. and like you can. Yeah. Then sudden, got... suddenly, there's a there's a town in in Los Alamos. Yeah. But yeah, they, they've, <laughs> they've 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 got the, there's they've got you know, the, the biography in front of them saying mm. we've now checked off all the characters we need to. We've done justice to everybody yeah. who's involved in the project. Yeah. Few, rather than saying the audience needs to know this too. The audience needs to know why this guy has to join and yeah. why this guy hasn't joined. What what they can do if they get this guy on the team. And there's none of that. They're just kind of sitting around, you know, drawing big chalk diagrams saying this is how it blows up. Yeah. And they do so, so they do try and there's like these fishbowls saying this is the amount of energy we've, this amount of um, plutonium we've gathered for the, for the bomb. And there's like the kind of ticking clock, but it's not much of a kind of way for the audience to understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. No, Basically, the right. audience knows there's eggheads and they're building a bomb. And you don't know much more than that from the start. Yeah, I mean, talk to me about the um, the soundtrack then, because I I thought that my own view was that the soundtrack was what was one of the best things about the film. I know that you, you, <laughs> really? like, yeah, yeah. Well, Amazing. Uh, um, just on the basis that I quite like the intensity yeah. of the continued music throughout the entire film. Um, I thought it was a really interesting stylistic decision to interesting. make. Interesting. Okay. Because it never the only time it stops in the whole film is when you when the explosion happens. That's the yeah, only yeah. so for for like two hours and fifty seven minutes, yeah. there is a continual soundtrack. And there's a motif with the with the um hand clapping and the foot stamping, which I felt really built up the kind of tension in terms of what what Oppenheimer was feeling. Now if I have a criticism of it, it is it was quite a signposting soundtrack in yes. the sense that I wonder if this is always going to be the case with films. But if you remove the soundtrack, right, would the film have the same propulsion? Probably not. But that doesn't matter. The soundtrack yes. is there for a reason. And I thought it was great. I, I didn't like everything about the soundtrack in terms of it's not my cup of tea necessarily. Yeah. But I loved I loved the I love the intertwining of the soundtrack with the film. 
Yes, it's fascinating because again, the soundtrack was my first clue that I really wasn't enjoying the film. Ah, oh, really? Um, it was. I had a similar complaint with Dunkirk. Actually, it was. I mean, almost Dunkirk has a better excuse because it's a war movie. Yeah. But it was, and maybe the cinema got the audio mix wrong with this. But it was just so totally in your face all the time, relentlessly. It. I mean, that for ninety minutes is hard. For a three-hour mm. movie, it was mm. exhausting. And the thing was, again. I think a soundtrack is meant to cue you in to you know, to help the story along. And if yeah. everything they do is, brum, brum, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's just like we're going to meet you scientists. Brum, brum. I was like, is this an important scientist? We'll meet another one. Brum, brum. We're going to get some bombs. Brum, brum. I thought, let, let me know when we meet when, when, you. Know, like Oppenheimer's on trial. Brum, brum. It's like when it gets yeah. important, yeah. then the soundtrack should ramp up and, and, and do it again. When they just meet another scientist, I don't need to know that. that that's not, a, you know, don't, don't break out the, the trumpets for that. Oh, and no, because I, of that, I, loved, I yeah, liked it. I thought it really, was great. Really but, put me off and, and switched me off very early on because it, it was it was just hard. Because again, Murphy was playing it as he should. I think quite soft spoken and quite yeah, introspectively. Yeah. So you, you, and you thought, just let them act. Just let yeah. the actors but have also, the scene. Yeah, that's true. That is true. It, it did become quite front and center. I, I, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's obviously a decision. It's, I, I just thought it worked for me. It worked. It was one of the most successful uh, yeah. things about the film. I think that's always of course because three hours in, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't hum it. I couldn't even tell you what that soundtrack was <laughs> because it was so relentless. There was no leap motif and no yeah. recurring theme. It was simply just like, oh my god, this is noise. Oh, thank god the bombs gone. If I could have two minutes of peace. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to remember, Hugh, that um, one of my favourite films is Under the Skin with uh, Scarlett Johansson. And for oh, me, the soundtrack, the soundtrack in that is incredible. But I can understand why people hate it. Yeah. Um, so that that was a big turn off for me. And I think, again, it, it was it was and I think it's been not he's not strange to it. But I also remember I, I remember the prestige of being more subtle. Obviously, the Batman movies mm. used their, their heroic soundtrack. But you can yeah. get away with that because Batman is a roller coaster of action. Yeah, you can. And this yeah. wasn't. I think I say it's, it's the first time Christopher Nolan has done something so non-actiony but the yeah, fact is, he's yeah. using the same tools as he does his action movies it's I so mean, it, it's it's yeah it is interesting but also because the, he, he normally i mean the, i mean the batman films and um i don't know whether the prestige is or not but they're hans zimmer um soundtracks aren't they which yeah. this isn't this is ludwig goranson but it's a, of a similar type of yeah. ilk I, I i would imagine in that regard um Interesting. I th- in some respects, I thought that the the soundtrack was the most emotional thing in the film. To be honest, so that's <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, and and perhaps that comes down to the final my my kind of final point here for me, anyways. That I kind of expected the film to be more emotional. I expected yeah. it to be more profound or impactful, and it yeah. kind of wasn't. I still, when you look back at, at Nolan's oeuvre, right? Yeah. Um, he does spectacle fantastically well. I just I'm not sure that he does character brilliantly and there are a couple of exceptions so interstellar right yeah there are plots there are problems with that film in terms of its plot and all that kind of stuff but it's an emotional film oh yeah and i really like it for that and you know i I can't get through that film without breaking down and in some respects i can forgive i can forgive the problems i have with it because it's a sucker punch right and um particularly now i've had children as well it's even more i almost can't i can't watch it i I didn't watch it right because i'll probably have a breakdown um (laughs) and with the prestige as well i think that's another film where there's quite a lot of emotional resonance in it about power and absolutely um, yeah you know so those two for me those two films are nolan's high watermark actually i think probably the prestige is is the better of the two yeah i love the prestige i think the prestige is brilliant it's for me it's his best film um but Interstellar does come a close second. And I think actually since then, since Interstellar, definitely, his films have been a little bit... They've been... 
they've been good to look at, right? Yeah. But I don't know, they're a bit empty. So T- Tenet, I couldn't really get with. That's the one of his films where I just felt, I don't understand what's happening here. And it was too obtuse, willfully obtuse. And so therefore I kind of disengaged from it. But I did like the fact that he actually crashed a plane. <laughs> right? So that's good. I like that. He does yeah. that. I like that. Um, you know, Inception, I think, is good, but it's a bit overrated. It's very technical, but it's it's fun. In that regard, um, yeah. but yeah, like Tenet was to be massively. Fair. Inception was the last. I don't like it. I don't, don't get me wrong, but it's. Yeah. I think it's overrated, but I think it's good. Yeah. Um, but so I think, but since Interstellar, I think I tend to find that he's gone a bit. Um, I don't know. Dun- Dunkirk, I enjoyed again. I enjoyed it, but equally, it. I don't know. It's the same stuff, you know. It's Kenneth Branagh overacting with a strange time loop. I mean, why does Dunkirk have to have a time loop in it? Uh, not a time but a, a time, time structure. Yeah, Why does it structure. have to? It doesn't have to, does it? <laughs> well, I think it makes it more interesting that way. It's like, if, again, as you're doing the biopic of Dunkirk. Again, I I suppose, the, how, can, how can Dunkirk not be interesting? Well, again, the, the time switch in Dunkirk, I didn't actually mind it. But again, it was the relentlessness fact of, again, if if everything is up, there is no yeah. down. Yeah. And, and, and it was yeah. the same with Dunkirk. Everything was constantly, bram, bram, yeah. which you can understand true, a bit. It? But it, it's like, you you can't just have a trumpet for two hours. You've got to stop and have the violins too. That's that's music. Oh, um, that's love. That's like are, marriage. There are there are pauses between the music. I will say one more thing before I finish on it as well. Yeah. Is, one criticism. I guess this is this is a ridiculous criticism. So I'm I'm saving the worst one for last. Yeah. In many ways, it could have been a bit more non-linear, um, which is okay. ridiculous. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. for example, this this was the thing. If 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 you are focusing on Oppenheimer and a few of the key relationships, Teller is clearly one of them. And yeah. there was that moment when he is again almost professionally betrayed Oppenheimer, and, and yeah. he shafted him in the court in the hearing, and he just walks up and gives him his hand, saying, "No hard feelings." And Oppenheimer shakes his hand, and it's like, and then you're you're going, Rrr. and then even Kitty is like, you know, savagely after in, in, in the yeah, hotel, saying, yeah. "Why did you shake his hand? You shook his hand." Yeah, and it's and like doesn't it doesn't yeah. shake his hand, does it? Does yeah, she, yeah. Uh, the end, and, but it's like at this point, it's like I know this because I've seen them have their relationship. I've seen them. Yeah talk and they they butted heads and they yeah they you're right you're right and yeah. it happened and i thought why shouldn't that be at the very start when yeah. you know some scientist says something and all of a sudden it's a hell of a deal that he shouldn't have shaken his hand and he does and then in the backstory you realize the relationship they had and i thought that i mean that's just one instance but i was thinking that was quite linear that was quite straightforward I was yeah you're right the, that's the a really good point that. yes yeah it, that's it's, a really good point it's, it's very a to b and i thought well, that's one of the, the more interesting yeah B to A stories they could have had, and it, I mentioned it was yeah. it was kind of unfortunate twerk of reality that, uh, that Straws met Rappenheimer after he was famous. So he he was he wasn't like the bane of his life. He was a petty bureaucrat yeah. that toppled off on that because that's kind of what it was. Apparently, in again in MIT, they used to argue about things over small matters. It literally was like, why did you introduce me to Einstein? And yeah. it, it was I mean the whole Kevin thing came down to pettiness, and you know, that was how you know the Prometheus fell. And that was fine, but because you can't change the fact they met in 47. He obviously couldn't have played a part in the Manhattan Project. No. So you lose a yeah. bit of that to it as you well. You do lose so a bit of that, didn't you? Not, yeah. So then, then you then become the <laughs> kind of teller has to play that part of that antagonist mm. a little bit. Um, during it's the not Manhattan enough, Project. though, is it? No, because obviously no. There, there was that respect between them. They were both scientists. Yeah. They were both working on it. And in many ways, obviously, again, if, if, if let's accept the character of Oppenheimer as he portrayed in the film, es- he was at, he was against escalation and this kind of stuff. You know, he mm. thought, we've built a bomb, let's not build massive bombs that make it even worse. But from an audience perspective, the bomb's gone off. It's Trinity. Yeah, we are it, in the yeah. atomic age. Yeah. Is it really that much of a step whether you build a hydrogen bomb or a atomic bomb? Because I clearly missed it up knowing what it was. But to me, it's a nuclear bomb. 
Yeah, they, we, it's we, already they, happened, isn't the it? The genie's out of the bottle now. Well, that's the, fact, the that's the Prometheus. Exactly. That's the Prometheus, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah that's what it is. It's already yeah. gone. The genie's out of the bottle. Uh, yeah, I am. And I, and I, get what is it? I am the destroyer of worlds. Yeah, and I get that um, the Oppenheimer thing was trying to put it back in, but I think, yeah, that didn't quite ring home true to me as, as, the, as the, the crux of, of what he was, mm. the, the crux of the relationship with Teller, for example, or even destroys as a commission. I also thought the destroyer of worlds line was was quite heavy handed. It was secondary to the JFK line. Um, yeah. The fact that again, Oppenheimer, I understand brought that line in a lot later in his career when yeah, he was introducing yeah. that as kind of like this is what i definitely thought at the time yeah. um and the fact that you know, that's the line associated with him and the fact they sort of nailed it to a book attached to a half-naked florence pew saying now you're going to pay attention to this <laughs> this is the important line look how we're presenting it it felt a bit kind of like yeah yeah um heavy-handed so, the least. so you know you're talking about the, the the fact that oppenheimer could be more non-linear than it yeah. already is i think that's actually you, you know that's a persuasive argument um but it did remind me of a film that does that very non-linear um storytelling really well it's a completely different genre it's in science fiction but arrival the denny villeneuve film with amy adams and jeremy oh, renner yes, yes, do you remember yes, it's, I mean, it's a fair few years it's a great film but what that does is throughout the film in that I, I, I my feeling when watching it was I didn't know what the hell was going on <laughs> for for about an hour and a half and then it all made sense that was a fantastic film I'd watch yeah. it yeah and and so and it's it's that isn't it and that film is obviously totally deconstructed because the whole point of it is that time is yeah. malleable yeah yeah right and so in that context in the end of the film, it makes complete and utter sense and you understand what's happening. But throughout until I think it's probably about 90 minutes in, maybe 100 minutes. Well, maybe not 100, but 90 minutes in when you, suddenly things start to fall in place and you understand what's happening. That yeah. you're not watching the film yeah. in a linear time form. It just doesn't tell you that. Whereas Nolan almost kind of he gives it away. Yeah. It tells yeah. it funny. This is what this is going to be. And therefore, oh, right. OK. Whereas, yeah, let's 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 emerge with the character as we find him yeah because if, if you're going to for example for the gene tatlock relationship if you're going to have him hold over the coals for that relationship show that relationship as he's recounting it in flashback because yeah. they don't they they show it all and then you recount it again and linearly and, and it yeah. recurs yeah. yeah yeah but um see not linear enough who'd have thought you said about not linear film? who'd have thought yeah well <laughs> dude, although you know the flip side tenet way too long oh, non-linear. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a fine balance of lineality yeah. isn't there so any, any other thoughts before we uh we move to i think we thoroughly dissected the film we have indeed i'm interested I, i'm interested to know what your score is going to be now this is I like, know. God, <laughs> you're the only person in, in the world giving it a one <laughs> crombie anyway uh, we well let's we'll, we'll take a short break and then we shall uh, return refreshed for the, uh, the final hearing um possibly a young <laughs> senator from massachusetts will weigh in hoping to make his name <laughs> we just don't know um uh, but join us then yeah. Welcome back. We shall hold you up no longer uh, as we uh, we turn to give the scores. Who are we to score it? The scores we shall give. <laughs> oh, we have become we have become the destroyer, the scorer of films. Uh, James, would you like to kick off? Um, uh, technically, you know, obviously a very good film. It looks it, it looks great. It looks incredible. Um, I think. In, in, you know, in terms of awards and stuff like that, I think it's a shoe in for a lot of the technical awards and possibly even for a lot of the acting awards as well. I think Killian Murphy, Matt Damon and Robert Downey Jr. are really superb in this. I mean, really superb. Um, 
and I suppose that masks a lot of the flaws of the film, really, which I think is around the storytelling, actually. Um, and I think the storytelling is not as good as the talent on screen. And by that, I mean the technical and the acting as well. Um, I was engaged in it throughout. But is it a classic? Absolutely not. For me, it's three disembodied crombie heads. <sighs> three disembodied crombie heads. Um... I, I not much I can screw that again. I think there's so much good about the film, which almost makes makes the bits I didn't like even worse because there's so mm. much good about the film. Um, I think my litmus test is would I watch it again? I don't think I would. I cannot mm. even to give it a second chance. I cannot see myself sitting down and watching this again. And I think that to me is just it doesn't make it a good film. It's I it would be very harsh to give it anything over three. I think I'm going to go with a very low three. It's a three because. Mm. Maybe you'll watch it once. It's um, it's kind of like Schindler's List in that respect. It's like it, uh, you watch <laughs> it's it. Not it's not as good important. as Schindler's List. It's though. nowhere as good as Schindler's List. No, but it, you you watch it once because you've got to because they'll yeah. they'll wheel it on in history classes and, uh, and yeah, then, you know yeah. you've got to um lessons to watch it through. But I it, yeah, it tells its story. It kind of you'll you'll know more about the making of the Manhattan Project by the time you but it's over. Mm. But is it an entertaining three hours of cinema? It's not. It's three for me. I mean, that seems quite a high score given how you've just described it there i know but <laughs> is it an entertaining three hours no three stars <laughs> is that three out of a hundred no are you, are you are you talking me down i can't give it two <laughs> it's bad enough that we have we've criticized what the entire planet is saying is the best movie ever made I mean, yeah. not, i've not seen any any reviews that are problematic about the film i've seen one or two but it's mostly been glory that's why i wanted to discuss it with you because i thought someone tell me i'm wrong tell me what i've made a mistake mm -hmm. tell me i've missed the, the best film ever made because it's just yeah i'm on a cusp of a two i'll, I'll stick to three because it, it's yeah. good there are some good good well, performances i think i think it's it's a three simply for the technical bravado and the acting yeah the acting is great and you know i People are saying this is this is Nolan's. This shows Nolan to be a great scriptwriter. I don't know that it does. No, 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 no. Um, right? Absolutely not. I, I, mean, I think there's a lot of dialogue in the film, but that doesn't mean that it's great. Does <laughs> it? A lot he was of able to write three doesn't mean hours. It's good. A lot, yes. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Because he rewrote three whole hours. He's definitely yeah, good. <laughs> he wrote three hours of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. I say, the, the wit, the levity, and just the, the way of getting information across to the audience. Because I think a lot of the audience. I'm just going to be lost in it. I mean, it's, it's made so much money. Everyone's seen it. I don't, it's, it's what really baffles me is it is not what I'd regard as a populist film. It's not a um, It doesn't seem like a box office hit, does it? No, it seems like a real turnoff. And I get maybe, yeah. maybe you go to see it and everyone goes, oh, that was a real turnoff. Um, but they go but they're not it. saying that though, are they? No, it's this miracle. Well, I, I don't get, know whether I, Joe I, Public I, is saying that or not. I wonder yeah. if in just a couple of years time, it'll be one of those films that, you know, it's just faded away and people will think, oh, remember that film? That was big at the time. If it, it may be big now because it's been marketed big and it's got a yeah. lot of heat behind it, whether it's got the bones to last and be one of those films where, for example, I quoted Jurassic Park. Um, at yeah, the start yeah, of the, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had that in mind thinking like, where's the film movies that stick with you? And you think, should I watch that? Yeah, I'll watch that right now. Um, well, I think I think the best analogy you gave was um, Social Network. Uh, that's a really, that, really good comparison. That is that jumped into me. I thought, I'd, yeah, to see an Oppenheimer movie that was not just by the same makers, but written with that kind of panache and directed yeah, with yeah. that kind of flair. Um, yeah and also again we, we discussed again what is a david finch film it's not it's less obvious than a chris Nolan film. i can spot a chris Nolan film from you know yeah. 100 miles and a million decibels away now yeah. <laughs> it's, there's no disguise of what a christopher nolan film is but i think that doesn't that's not all to the good sometimes oh it's it, yeah and um it, yeah, it's really interesting isn't it so just because something is described to you as epic 
Yeah. Yeah. Enormous, right? It doesn't mean it is, does yeah. it? Right? It, yeah. This is an epic film. This is a film of such extraordinary grandiosity. That doesn't mean it is. Yeah. And in, it's, it's funny because, again, it's not like Christopher Nolan has been banging out the Fast and the Furious films. And um, so he he's clearly makes films of, of, of deep thoughts yeah, and, and interesting love. ideas. Yeah. And all this. But I'm saying, like, he, he, there's, there's a lot of intellect behind a lot of his movies. But in many ways, he's, they've been action movies. They've been movies with a great kinetic energy to them yeah. and, and set piece scenes. And this is the first time it's not been like that that I can remember. I mean, anything that he's done has been. Mm. Like yeah, you know, I think you're right. Or Vibeck's Memento, that had a certain energy to it for the whole thing, and it's like this is the first sitting down and talking in rooms film he's had, yeah. and I don't think it works for me. I don't think it works for him. I think it's it's not his style. Interesting. Well, let's get on the blower. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, Chris, <laughs> just uh, finish dusting your mantelpiece for the Oscars. You will never be pick up for this film, and listen to us. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, though, here's the thing. This is one of those weird. Um, it's one of these weird things, right? Where it will probably clean up at the Oscars for all of technical categories yeah. and the acting categories, right? Probably will, won't it? It could, come, it yeah. could come away with something like eight or nine Oscars, yeah, and, yet, we, and yet it, yeah. it might not be a great film. Yeah, no. But the Oscar, the Oscars always lean towards the best celebrity well, impersonation. Well, so. well, they do, they do. But I would argue that in this instance, yeah those Oscars might be justified. Well, one thing is no one knows really what Oppenheimer is like. You know, there's, there's, no. It's not, it's not like it's, it's, um, you're doing Elvis where you, it's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. He did it's a good impersonation. Yeah, Killian yeah. Murphy didn't do a good Oppenheimer. He did a good performance of the character Oppenheimer. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah. A great performance. It was, it was fantastic, yeah. but it's not like he's nailed that. I know exactly what Oppenheimer yeah. spoke. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly. in fairness, yeah, it, it, if they do win Oscars for the performances and the technical categories, It'd be well deserved. I just don't think, as directorially or thematically, cinematically. No, it, I think I think, deserves, I think um, screenwriting and direction it's average. Yeah, really. Um, but well, we shall see. We'll be proved we wrong. Anyway. They'll, they'll well, walk away with their arms full. <laughs> we know nothing. Of course, we don't. But uh, <laughs> but thank you for for indulging us, uh, dear listener, into our very special comedies. We will return with these. We don't know when, so we can't even announce it. But when the next film so tickles our fancy that we just have to get on the blower and discuss it at length um, and burden you with our thoughts, uh, we will. We not will hesitate to do so. We will. <laughs> <laughs> just be rest assured, it will happen. It's, it's probably going to be is the next really big film um, that everyone else likes, and I think oh, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> please, oh, please tell uh, me. And this is the challenge sometimes, isn't it? Because you don't, I don't tend to go to the cinema to watch a film that everybody hates. No, no. Right? You don't do it, do you? If everyone's hating a film, you don't go to the cinema to watch that to find out that you like it. Yes, that's true. So you only ever experience it the other way around. You only ever experience a film that people love and you love yeah. or that everyone loves and you hate. It's that's never true. the other way around. And that is why a Weekend at Crombies exists. Oh, we've got our mission statement. <laughs> But thank you for your indulgence. Um, again, we, this, this is our third attempt at meeting up. We've battled through illness to get us here. So, you know, uh, in our own ways, it's been our own Manhattan project to make this thing happen. <laughs> there were explosions on the way because some of those delays were gastric. Oh, As, uh, James is now demonstrating he's, uh, he's on death to himself. So uh, <laughs> we, shall, uh, we shall leave you to, uh, to, uh, to bask in the warm atomic light of, of the future. <laughs> As we wish you a very happy and a very healthy weekend at Crumbies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crumbies. Um, yep. And before very long, they've uh, successfully blown up the hydrogen bomb, so that's nice.
Another helium, not the helium bomb, the, the atomic, atomic bomb. bomb. I'm yeah. getting my bombs. I said, the I would, helium I would, bomb. I wouldn't just get float the, off. I wouldn't get through the gate in Los Alamos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to invent the helium bomb, sir. It just flies off into space. Mr. Oppenheimer, helium is late. Got a bit of a problem. 